0: I want to reflect upon the song we just sung. Um, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Finish it with me. I once was lost and now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. Right? We know these words and we know them well. They They really speak about the the working of God in the, the life of a, of a Christian, it is amazing grace that God would save a wretch like me, a sinful wretch like me who didn't want anything to do with God, and yet God opened my eyes to turn us from our, our sinful state, not because of what we've done, but because it was kindness and mercy and, and grace toward us in Christ. Are you familiar with the fourth stanza? It starts this way. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Say it with me now. His grace has brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. See, the stand says that God's grace doesn't merely save us once and then just say, Oh, you're saved. We'll see you in heaven. <laughs> we'll see you. See you soon. No, it says that God's grace that starts our salvation is the same grace that continues our salvation and keeps us, even through dangers and toils and snares. See, the the, the grace of God permeates the life of a believer to guide him or her throughout his or her life, right? And, And even I would say this, especially through the trials of life. Remember when Paul had that thorn in his flesh and he prayed several times, God, just remove this thorn from me. And God says, no. And what do he say? He said, my grace is sufficient for you. And through the hard times, through the dangerous toils and snares, it's when those hardships come that we really need to rest and rely upon the, the grace of God. And, and I do think that this is illustrated in our text this morning, Acts 27. You want to open your Bibles, you can do that well, um, do that right now would, would be good. And um, in fact, um, what I say this morning won't, won't make much sense unless you're really following along in your scriptures. It's a, it's a whole chapter, it's, it's many verses, it's 44 verses, we're going to have to zip through many of them, but this chapter is really basically a captain's log of Paul's journey, right, across the Mediterranean Sea to uh, Caesarea, from Caesarea on his way to Rome, and it's filled with with references to sailing sailing terminology and nautical references. It really is a thrilling exciting story about the ship upon dangerous waters that, that ends up in a shipwreck, and, and yet all the lives on the on the ship are saved. It's, it's really quite a story. And, and as I was reading through uh, the book of Acts and coming to the book of Acts, just thinking about why is Acts 27 in the book of Acts? Why is Acts 27 even in the Bible? Why did Luke, the author of Acts, decide that... That all these details about where they sailed and the the shelter which they were finding on and and, and even their, their 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 time adrift to sea and throwing the cargo overboard and and, and dropping anchor and, and like why are all those details given to us Is it just a nice story? Did Luke just love the story and just wanted to tell it again? Well, I, I believe that Luke had a purpose in mind, and I think Luke's purpose is just to further confirm to us the providence of God that he would fulfill that which he has promised the, the providence of God is God working out his grace towards us and I think that's his, his purpose in fact the, the book of Acts is an entire book just about God's providence to build his church he's going to come true in his promise you remember Matthew chapter 16 when Jesus said to Peter he says I will build the, my church is what he says I'm going to build my church and we see acts is merely a fleshing out of how he's going to build his church and jesus builds his church through his spirit empowering his people to be bold with others who witness to who jesus christ is and in fact that's the theme of the book of acts we've seen it over and over again right we are called to be my witnesses and that's how god builds his church that's how jesus is in his providential way building his church that he promised to build in fact, you remember when he was leaving his disciples, he said, you'll receive power and the Holy Spirit's come upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and even to the end of the earth. And that's what we've seen in the book of Acts. We've seen the Holy Spirit come upon the disciples in Acts chapter two on the day of Pentecost. And there were witnesses in Jerusalem for a few years until Stephen was stoned. And at that point, it was unsafe to be in Jerusalem, and so they scattered abroad and and they went north to Samaria, and they went south to Judea. The, the region is really close to Jerusalem. And, and, and then from there, like the, the book of Acts just expands in concentric circles. So it reaches Caesarea, when uh, Peter brought the, the gospel to Cornelius and his household. And, and then Paul, beginning in Acts chapter 13, begins the gospel expansion with his missionary journeys. and just goes out and out and out as Paul brought the gospel to the ends of the earth. And now here we are at the end of the book of Acts, and Paul is heading to Rome. Uh, that, that was not only plan, God's, Paul's plan, but it was God's promise as well that he would get there. And so, before we actually dive into Acts twenty-seven, I want to go back to Acts chapter nineteen, verse twenty-one. Paul was in Ephesus and uh, thinking about going back to Jerusalem um, for the, the feast, and he said that before he got there, he said after these events, Acts nineteen verse twenty-one. I'll put it right there on the screen. Paul resolved in the Spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and to go to Jerusalem, saying, after I've been there, I must also go to Rome. And you work your way through the book of Acts. That's what Paul's very journey took him. After Ephesus, he went to Macedonia and Achaia, and then he went to Jerusalem, and then he wanted to go to Rome. But when he was in Jerusalem, he was falsely accused by the Jews. He spent a few years in prison in Jerusalem. He had various trials that he went through, defending himself. And the only way to save his life was to appeal to Caesar. I appealed to Caesar. And the only way for that then was to then send him to Rome to appeal to Caesar. And that's what Acts chapter 27 is, is taking us on but note the three words here in verse 21. You can see them there. This says, Paul resolved in the Spirit. That means it just wasn't Paul's, Paul's heart to say, oh, this is where I'm going to go. Like he, he didn't just demand his way, this is what he's going to do. It was in the Spirit that the Spirit was working in his life to give him the divine itinerary of his life. In Acts chapter 27, we see God working that about to ensure that he got to Rome. That's God's providential care to make sure that he gets there. In fact, if you turn over to Acts chapter 23, we're going to see Paul receiving a direct revelation from the Lord. Acts 23:11. The following night, there we put it on the screen again. The following night, the Lord stood by me, by him, and said, "Take courage, for you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem. You must also testify in Rome." And there it is. Paul was determined to go to Rome. Acts 19:21. But it's God's confirmation that he would indeed arrive at Rome. In Rome, and we see even through the dangers and the toils and the snares that he faces on this difficult journey, on this boat, God providentially will bring him to Rome. And I think that's the overarching story, the overarching message that we have. My titles and my message is entitled this morning, God's Providence in Difficult Times, because that's what we see Paul in. He's in difficult times, he's in perilous situation. But even through that time, we had God's promise that he indeed was going to make it to Rome, God's working just as he had promised. Now, because the text is so long, I'm not going to read the whole thing for you to put it in mind. And, and further, because the text is sort of a story that, that like develops, we're just going to let the, the tension develop as we work through it. So here's my first point this morning. I'm calling it simply sailing. Uh, beginning in chapter 27 of verse 1, right? we see Paul embarking on a ship. 27 verse 1, he says, And when it was decided that we should sail for Italy... They delivered Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius, and embarking in a ship of the um, Adromium I don't know how to say that I've tried Adramidium the Adramidium, uh, which was about to sail the ports along the coast of Asia, we put to sea, accompanied by Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica. And apparently Festus, the, the governor, right, had to think about, okay, Paul has got to get to Rome. What's the best way? By land, you know, would give given Paul many opportunities to escape or other prisoners to escape. And on a boat was pretty good. They're, they're isolated. They're safe. They're going to get to Rome. And so Festus sent them off to, by a boat to transport them. And he handed him over to this centurion named Julius. Now, he's described as being of the Augustine um, cohort, which probably means that he was centered in Rome. So here was this Roman centurion there in Caesarea, planning to go back to Rome anyway. And so Festus simply said to Julius here, you take this man and deliver him to Caesar. Um, That's about all that we know about um, Julius other than he had, Paul was a a prisoner. Plus there were some other prisoners as verse one. So you kind of picture that we don't have the names of any of these prisoners um, but we do know the name of some of paul's traveling companions in verse 2 we're told this man aristarchus all we know about him is he's a macedonian from thessalonica certainly a believer in christ probably converted through paul's preaching but maybe just through his ministry maybe he's converted after paul left thessalonica we're we're not exactly sure but but those were were two And, and paul had another traveling companion do you know who paul's other traveling companion was Do you see it there in the text? There's Paul, there's and Luke. And you can see Luke there when he says, we put to sea there in verse 2. This is Luke, the author of the book of Acts. He was sailing off with Paul as well on this sailing adventure. Now there may have been others, we don't exactly know, but we know at least of those three, those those three Christians would have... uh, been able to have sweet fellowship there on the on the ship and I'm sure Luke and Aristarchus were taking care of him uh, along the way. Uh, the ship is identified as a ship of uh, Adramidium um, that's really probably a commercial freight liner that came from Adramidium which is a harbor, a harbor city along the northwest coast of uh, the city of Asia Minor and this ship I think was planning to set sail back along the, the coast of Asia on the way back picking up trade cargo a- along the way is kind of what what was happening here? And verse three tells us the path that they took in the journey. The next day we put in at Sidon. Well, this really calls us to have a map. Just want to give you some vividness of what's happening here. We have Paul in Caesarea, and he's heading north to Sidon. Um, which gives just to give you some bearings right here. Paul is headed actually. He's going to Rome, uh, but first this this ship goes up north to Sidon. Um, it's a long journey, but it begins the first leg up to Sidon. And if winds were favorable, this first journey could have been made in a day. And apparently, it did. They were there pretty quickly. And at Sidon, they they um, put to port, and they were apparently were transferring some cargo. And uh, we see we get a sense of how Paul was treated by Julius the centurion. He was treated very kindly uh, by him. Look at verse three. And Julius treated Paul kindly. And gave him leave to go to his friends and be cared for this is This is the kindness of God upon paul he didn 't have to remain in the ship in his chains um, rather he 's given leave from the ship to go with his friends on the land, which probably meant that when he was on the ship he was trustworthy enough to go to see his friends. He probably on the ship was probably not in his chains, maybe some prisoners were but but Julius sent kindly um, dealt kindly with him and and i 'm sure this came about from paul 's reputation, his character Julius know there's a man who trusted and that that paul was was given leave, maybe some promise was was made on the ship i 'm not sure, but i 'm sure that Paul was there inside, and he was spending time with the believers, spending time with the church, probably preaching, probably speaking, probably teaching, probably involved in, in worship but anyway, verse four, we see the the pick the, the trip journey the the journey picks up again, and, uh, and there 's where we see the journey beginning its difficulty if you look in verse four. He says this, and putting out to sea from there, we sailed under the Lee of Cyprus because the winds were against us. And when we had sailed across the open sea along the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra in Lycia. So again, if you just look there on the map, he's going up north and goes on the north side of Cyprus, but particularly there, he went around the Lee of Cyprus. That is the sheltered side of Cyprus because of how the wind was that. Uh, first of all, they they kind of went to the the eastern side of Cyprus, and then they went up and over to Myra. And, and at Myra, they they transferred ships. I mean, apparently, right? The this uh, Adronium Adronidium ship was right going to continue on up to that city from which it was from. You can see it on the map. But Paul and his prisoners, right? Paul and the fellow prisoners, they were heading to Rome, is where they were going. And so we see in verse six, we see this exchange. It's kind of like flying into an airport, and then you're going to switch planes, you're going to transfer. And they transferred in verse 6. There the centurion found a ship of Alexandria sailing for Italy and put us on board. So he transferred whoever his prisoners were, got them on board this new ship. And then verse 7. And we sailed slowly for a number of days and arrived with difficulty off Canidus. And as the wind did not allow us to go further, we sailed under the lee of Crete off Salmoni, Salem. And coasting along it with difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Havens, which is near the city of Lycia. And it's here that we are really introduced to the the difficulty of the travel. I mean, first they went to Canitis with, with difficulty, and the wind prevented them from going farther. And then after that, they sailed south. That is under the, the lee, the shelter of Crete, and they arrived at at Fairhaven because the wind was coming, but the land sheltered them, and they arrived at this place called Fairhaven. Now, for us, right? You read that in Acts twenty seven. You are like, oh, Fairhaven. I know, I know a place called Fairhaven. Right? It's the retirement center here in uh, in Rockford. And how appropriate it is. the Fair Havens Is this place where Paul found safety and rest? And uh, Fairhaven is a place where. Uh, older people, senior citizens, can find safety and rest is there as well. In fact, it's a Christian organization. That's why they they named it that. What a what a what a great name! And it gives us some familiarity with Acts chapter twenty seven. But it was only note with difficulty that they came to fair havens, and this difficulty was the contrary winds and the weather, and it in fact even continued for many days. And that's how it is on the sea, right? If the weather's bad, you don't go sailing; you wait for a, a better day. And this is what the crew did at Fair Havens. They waited and waited and waited and waited. Now, we don't know how much time they waited. We simply know in verse 9 that much time passed. So we don't know how much time that was, but Paul sensed the danger with much time fa- passing and seeing the weather turning bad. You know, it's a little bit like when the weather turns bad in you know, November. You're like, oh, do we really want to make that trip? Do we really want to go? Do we really want to do this when the weather's turning bad? But verse 9 Since much time had passed and the voyage was now dangerous, and there again you see this God's providence in times of difficulty, in in danger, he said it was dangerous because even the fast was already over. Paul advised them saying, Sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, and not only of the cargo of the ship, but also our lives. Now the fast mentioned here in verse 9 is the fast of Yom Kippur, which comes at the end of September. And so, just um, you think about time frame here. One commentator said, In ancient times, sailing the high seas after September 15th was not advisable. By then, cloudy weather set in, and the cloud cover made it impossible for seafarers to observe the stars by which they navigated. So, Paul says, is, Let's stay here, lest we lose the ship and our lives. But then we read in verse 11 that the centurion paid more attention to the pilot and to the owner of the ship than to what Paul said. That's almost humorous, right? But practically, you're going to listen to the owner of the ship who's got the ship at stake, and you're going to listen to the pilot of the ship because he has far more um, sailing um, experience than Paul has. That's for sure. They have the know-how. They have more at stake. And so at verse 12, we read this, right? Some apparently there was some sort of, sort of vote, right? Some sort of consensus, <laughs> because the harbor was not suitable to spend the winter in. The majority decided to put out to sea from there on the chance that somehow they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete, facing both southwest and northwest, and spend the winter there. Now, if you look on your map, just look how far they're going to go from from Fair Havens, which, by the way, just wasn't a good port there. But in Phoenix, there was this big port that was um, covered by the wind, and they could get there. But they're just trying to go up the island of Crete, maybe just slowly, and that's how far they're going, to find a, a suitable harbor there where... Were seafaring ships of all types right, would have stayed in port from mid-November to mid-March. But they never made it to Phoenix because of the storm that came upon them. This is my second point. It is the storm. Uh, here we go. Uh, I'm sorry. Here we go. The storm. Verse 13. Now when the south wind blew gently, supposing they had obtained their purpose, they weighed anchor and sailed along Crete close to the shore. But... Soon a tempestuous wind called a a northeaster struck down from the land. And when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and were driven along. Listen, as careful as they were, right when the winds were calm, they, they took off. And then this tempestuous wind that was named a northeaster, right the name of this storm was coming. It took them out of the land and out into the sea. And verse 16 then continues. And running under the lee of a small island called Cauda, we managed with difficulty to secure the ship's boat. And after hoisting up the lifeboat, is really what's being said there, they, they used supports to undergird the ship, and then fearing that they would run aground on the Sirtis, they lowered the gear, and thus they were driven along. And, and again, right here here we see happening. They're, they're trying just to go to along the way to Phoenix, and they only make it to the... The lee of Kauda, right, was being being sheltered from the wind at that point, and things were getting so hard that what they did is they they lifted up the the lifeboat and secured it onto the boat, so they have nothing dragging behind them at all, and then they they wrapped the boat with ropes. It's called frapping. Right, just, just kind of wrapping it around to make it stronger, to so endure the, the pounding from the waves even a little bit better. And they even uh, lowered perhaps lowered the mast, or maybe even they lowered an anchor trying to find a place. I, we're not exactly sure whether it's a mast or an anchor. We don't know. But they here they were, they're adrift at the sea. The mercy of the storm. And, and in verse 18 we read how bad the storm was. This would make a great movie though, by the way, right? How, how bad the, the storm was. In verse 18, since we were violently storm-tossed, they began the next day to jettison the cargo. I mean, you only jettison the cargo when you're fearing for your lives. These people were fearing for their lives. And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. And when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest lay on us, all our hope of being saved was at last abandoned. And just catch the drama of that. They're throwing everything overboard. They, they like the, the the clouds have come upon them. So it's like GPS is all knocked out. You don't have any way in which to know where you're going. All hope of being saved is is all gone. Now I've never been in a storm at sea, but I've read that it's one of the most terrifying experiences that anybody could ever face. Um, even today right when such a storm hits out at sea we think with all of our technology like oh we, we, we'd be okay today I mean they had like, small boats back then but we'd be okay today and with a satellite phone you might be able to call some emergency responders but in bad storms like 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 plane helicopters they, they can't get there to rescue you um, it's just it's just not going to help you plus if you're way out in the middle of the sea you just got to ride it out And that's what they were doing, but for them it was so bad. Verse 20, all hope of being saved was at last abandoned. Now, in some ways, these people here are the best place for anyone to be. When you've abandoned all hope. See, when people have lost all hope in this world, where do they turn? They turn to God. Even you look at the secular news station, secular people, right? When something goes bad, my prayers are with you, right? We're praying for your hopes and prayers. Like these people, they don't ever pray, but they, they say that, right? There's something there. And those people who are in those situations, right? In difficult situation, how many times do people, just in desperation, cry out to God? Right? You know what I'm talking about, right? You you wanna you wanna you wanna teach someone about God, just take them to the front lines of the war. And getting shot at, people will start praying a lot. Or take them to the, the cusp of a of an illness or a diagnosis. People begin to cry out to God, and in some regards these sailors and these people on the ship are, are the best place in the world. In fact, I started this morning by, by just reviewing the words to Amazing Grace, John Newton. You know, John Newton, the story of, of being converted was really started in the midst of a storm when he got as low as could be. He was the, the former slave trader. He had the privilege of a godly mother, though, who taught him the scriptures, but she died when he was young. But, and John Newton grew up living far from God. He'd grown up to love the sea and all that the sea brings. And at one point, right, he'd been on the sea for over a year and indulging in all the sin that all the sailors indulge in and enjoying it. They encountered a violent storm. And it was mid March 1748. Newton awoke to a violent storm, so much that his room where he was was filling with water. And so the captain of the ship assigned him to the pumps. And so he was down there, like pumping, right, trying to get water out of the ship. And he said, if this will not do, he said, Lord, have mercy upon us. He worked the pumps for three to, from three in the morning until noon, slept for an hour, and then he, he took the helm of the, the ship until midnight. So he was, like sleep deprived in the midst of this storm. And uh, while he was at the wheel and not exercising so much down, down below, he uh, really had a chance to think about his life and his spiritual condition. About six o'clock then the next evening, it seemed as though there might be hope. He said, quote unquote, this is a quote from his memoirs. He says, I thought I saw the hand of God displayed in our favor, and I began to pray. He says, but I could not utter a prayer of faith. I could not draw near to a reconciled God and call him Father. The comfortless principles of infidelity were deeply riveted, and the great question now was how to obtain faith. And for the first time in years, he even prayed to God like he hadn't even thought about God. But then that storm is what caused him to really think about God. And he began searching out for the Lord. Trying to find people. And he eventually then found the Lord became the the great pastor and hymn writer that he was. And all due to this storm that came upon him. John Piper called this storm the precious storm that came upon him. The precious storm that brought John Newton low enough to seek the Lord Eventually. So, church family, right? Just know if you're in a pit of despair, or if you know people who are in a dis- pit of despair, it may be that they're in a good place. Because there's nowhere else to turn but, but to God and to God alone. See, the promise of scripture is that everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. That, that is right, saved from sin, saved from the eternal damnation that sin brings. But being brought low can be in a good place. In fact, I was talking to someone this this week about this very situation. Right? The circumstances of his life had turned really bad. His sin was ever before him. And he was even fearful for what his future held because of his sin. And, uh, and I said to him, I said, you know what? You're actually in a very good spot. <laughs> what are you talking about? I'm in, a, I'm in a terrible spot. But when you look at things from God's perspective, difficult times are the good spot. Because that's the time when we turn and seek for God. I said, you're, you're, in, you're in a good spot. I said to him, "I said you are low," and I remember him. I had man. I said, "I said you're low," and when you're low, there, there's no place for you to go except up into the Lord and and to Him who forgives sin. And, and and I even said, "You're in a good spot now," and I just I just encourage you to cry out to the Lord now. If you don't, you may even go lower and lower and lower. And the only way out is to cry out to the Lord, right? God be, it might might be merciful to you. I said. He might be merciful to you to bring you lower like like maybe this isn't enough to break you maybe this is what you need to break you maybe this is what you need to maybe you need to keep going so just know that you're going to be broken deep until you call out to the lord so i directed him to to read psalm 32 and psalm 51 he didn't know so i wrote those down on a piece of paper and i, I gave them to him and and both psalm 31 and Psalm 32 and Psalm 51 are just cries of repentance. They're reflecting upon just how blessed it is to, to be forgiven of the Lord. I bless a man to whom The Lord does not impute iniquity. There's great repentant psalms that I, I pointed him to. And um, I can only pray he repents. Really pray he repents. And I that if this is you this morning, if you're in the depths of despair, seek the Lord when he may be found cry out to him, call out to him, just like, like these, right? They were in a situation that all hope of being saved was at last abandoned. They're in the perfect spot that God had them. Well, in the situation of desperation, then Paul finally spoke up. Verse 21, and they had been without food for a long time. Since they'd been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, men, you should have listened to me, right? In other words, I, I, I told you so. Right, you should should have listened to me. He said, "We should not have set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss." But Paul continued on. He didn't wallow in that a lot. He just said, "Hey, I told you so." And maybe got their attention with those words. It's a great sermon introduction, right? I should have told you so. You're right. Right, we're we're in a difficult situation now. Right, but Paul continued, verse twenty-two. Now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I worship, and he said, do not be afraid, Paul, you must stand before Caesar, and behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told, but we must run aground on some island. And this is right where we see the providence of God. This is the, the, my, my message even this morning, right? The, the, the God's providence in difficult times. We see God's providence coming through. It's, it's uh, where Paul, visited by an angel, told him he's going to Rome. And, and Paul, in faith, just trusted that. Remember Acts chapter 23, uh, verse 11? <clears throat> the following night, the Lord stood by Paul and said, "'Take courage, for as you have testified "'to the facts about me in Jerusalem,' so you must testify also in Rome. And what Paul received on the ship was merely a confirmation. You must stand before Caesar. I mean, this is, this is God speaking directly into his life. Now, I don't think we have such a privilege today to be visited by the Lord or an angel to tell us exactly what will take place in our lives. Uh, maybe some, but um, I know I've never heard such a message from the Lord. God has never spoken to me audibly that... This is what will happen in your life. I know lots of people say, well, God told me this or God told me that. I don't think that they mean this. What they mean is just, right, there's some impression in their heart that they feel like God is, is leading them in some way, which God absolutely does. Um, but I don't think that Paul spoke to them like, like this. And, and it, like, if you say that, I just don't say that. Don't say God told me unless you heard an audible voice. Otherwise, you say, you know what? I feel God leading me this way, right? Just that's, that's what, what, what's really taking place. God's never told me anything directly, but I have his word. And there are promises in the word that that we all can stand on. And I found many things in his word just as comforting as Paul would have found this. Philippians 4.19, my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Paul speaking to those in Philippi. and Even Psalm 37 says, I've been young and now I'm old. I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. You know what? Just God will provide for the righteous. And I can trust in that. Don't maybe have all the specifics of how God's going to provide, but He will provide all things. Psalm 37, verse 4, delight yourself in the Lord. And he'll give you the desires of your heart. I, I know that, that I find my greatest delight when I am delighting in the Lord. Though I fail, prone to wander, Lord, I, I feel it like we sang today, but I know the promises that I will find my greatest delight when I find my delight in the Lord. First John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I have confessed my sins. I can stand pure and blameless before the Lord because He's forgiven me of my sins. Now, just because God hasn't spoken to you directly doesn't mean that God doesn't have a plan for your life. Just because He hasn't told you exactly what... God's got a plan for all of our lives. He does. This is what Psalm or Acts 27 is about. He's got a plan for Paul. He's going to bring it through. He's got a plan for all. We just don't know the plan. But you've got a plan. In Psalm 139, verse 16, David says, Even before I was born, right, you saw my unformed substance. And in your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. God knows the day you're going to die. We just don't know. But God and His providence will lead us through. And sometimes, sometimes they're going to be going through difficult times. See, God's providence in difficult times. Right? I mean, that's what we see, God's providence in times of difficulty. The, the, God is there, and God with Paul was even in bringing him through this intentionally. This was was God's storm. Romans eight twenty eight. we know that God calls, calls all things to work together for good to those who know God, who are called according to his purpose. like right? Those who are calling to his purpose. He's, he's working everything out for the good, and sometimes the good means difficult times. So whether it's good times or difficult times... God's working on his providential plan. And here in the text, we see Paul going through some difficult times. For Paul, it was a danger of the storm. And Paul had a specific word in the storm, verse 24. All right, We've seen it before. Do not be afraid. You must stand before Caesar. Paul was going to be saved from the storm. Providentially, he would save his life in this difficult time. What a comfort that was. But he had to believe it and trust it. But he did. But Paul also had a word for, from the Lord for those in the ship. Verse 24, And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. And with that exhortation, Paul, with that vision, Paul had an exhortation for those in the boat. He says, verse 25, Take heart, men, I have faith in God, that it will be exactly as I have been told. But we must run aground on some island. And that's exactly what happened. It was exactly as he was told and he did, they did run aground on an island, and we will we'll see that in a little bit. And these, these words came to pass. And I think, so well, what do you think would have happened after these words came to pass to those who observed it? I think it would have made an impression on them, don't you think? Like, like okay, well, Paul's believing that. Yeah, okay. When, and they actually did. None of them died, and they did run ashore on an island. In fact, I wouldn't be surprised in eternity future to hear that some of those on the boat came to faith because they saw God and His power working providence in bringing to pass what He had promised. And I just say this, that's often how God uses people to work in His ways. When people are going through difficult times, when, when believers in Christ are enduring the sufferings of this world with joy, they give testimony to the world because the world says that is different. It's, it's, it's not joyous to be rich and wealthy and famous, right? I mean, everyone wants to be that, right? But, but when, you're, when you're low, right? When you're here and you're really trusting the Lord in difficult times, that's when times shine and that's when people will look on with, with wonder and amazement. You know, this morning in our prayer meeting, by the way, you're invited at 9 o'clock every morning, in case you didn't know, a prayer meeting today. Uh, we looked at Hebrews 12 1. Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And the idea here is, 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 is Hebrews 11 and all of the, the witnesses, even beyond that, all the people that we have seen who have run with endurance the race well, right? We can look to them and be encouraged by them. But also those who run the race well are also an evangelistic opportunity for people who don't know Christ to see and look and awe with wonder and amazement. And I think that's happening here with Paul when it, when it came to be, when he wasn't fearful. I remember the story of uh, Charles Wesley when he was sitting across the sea and there was storm and there were the Moravians and they were calm as could be, trusting in, in God's plan for their lives. And he, as a preacher going to preach, found himself that he was lost because he didn't have this comfort and trust. And that's exactly, I think, what they would have experienced as well. Anyway, story continues, verse 27, when the 14th night had come, as they're being driven across the Adriatic Sea, uh, by the way, right here's, here's what's happening, right? They're just kind of being driven across this sea of where they were and, and who, knows, who knows where they were going. Um, they're driven across the sea, the sailors suspected that they were nearing land. So verse 28, they took a sounding and found 20 fathoms. A little farther on, they took a sounding again and 15 fathoms and, and fearing it might run into the rocks, they let down four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. And these skilled sailors, right, were worried about crashing into the shore. They, they could sense the land coming, right, maybe with the echoes off the land. And they were taking some, some soundings somehow to see how deep it was. And if you, if you look at these uh, fathoms, 20 fathoms, 50 fathoms, each fathom is, a, is a forty feet long, 30 feet long. And, and one measurement, 120 feet, and all of a sudden it's 90 feet. They're like, oh no, let's just drop anchor. And then I love this, how they prayed for day to come. Now, this is what the sea does to you. Especially in time of a storm, those in the boat weren't religious. You remember Jake's been preaching through um, Jonah in his in his times, I and mean, when he was in Jonah chapter one, right, he talked about these these mariners, these sailors, right, were praying to God, offering a sacrifice to God. They were ungodly people, and here we see the sailors, right, the, the same thing, right. The only those on the boat who were religious were Luke, Paul, Aristarchus, right, maybe a few other believers, but predominantly they were not. And it says here that they prayed for the day to come. Sir Paul was praying, Aristarchus was praying, but here we are, non-believing sailors praying for the day to come. And, and, and those on the boat didn't know at the time, but they were approaching this little island there called Malta. So in this, uh, in this uh, storm, the storm had taken them right, right across the sea, right to Malta. And hope was dawning that Paul's words indeed would come true, that they would indeed find safety on the land, yet... The sailors try to pull a fast one. Look at verse 30. This is crazy. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship, they had lowered the ship's boat, that is the lifeboat, into the sea under the pretense of laying out the anchors from the bow. Oh, we're going to lay down the anchors. And they're laying down the lifeboat so they can jump in the boat and sail away. But Paul said to the centurion and to the soldiers, right, they're with him, he says, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. And then the soldiers cut away the ropes from the ship's boat and they let it go. (laughs) That's that's a very humorous sort of way, but in, in God's providence, we see Paul. Uh, he, even though in Paul's God's providence, He assured Paul that He was going to make it to shore, we see Paul s- stepping in, right? I mean, you see, that's how providence works. It's not if if God promised Paul He's going to make it to Rome, right? It's not that He says, "Okay, I'm going to make it to Rome. I'm not not going to do anything. I'm just going to sit back on my bed. I'm just going to like whatever. I'll just wait. I'll just get there." No, Paul's acting. He knows if those sailors get off the boat. They don't know how to sail the ship, but these sailors do. So he goes to centurion and he says, hey, those guys, if they leave, you're going to die. And so the centurions, right, they, they cut that off. And so he didn't let those sailors go. In fact, this, this is how it, how it happens. It's that God providentially was going to bring Paul to Rome through the skill of the sailors to run the ship ashore. Hey, similar, like before the foundation of the world, God's chosen his elect. I mean, it's clear in the Bible. But but that's not to say, oh, we just we just sit back because God's gonna save him, he's gonna save him. No, God saves him through us, through us and through our means of, of preaching the gospel and being witness. That's why it's important for us in Acts to be witnesses to people. Because it's in our process that God will bring to pass what He has promised, His good providence. Well, verse 33, we see Paul taking leadership. He's kind of just taken over, right? At first it was the the pilot of the ship and the owner who was taken over, and now Paul is taken over. Verse 33, as day was about to dawn, Paul urged them to take some food, saying, today's the 14th day, you've continued in suspense and without food, having taken nothing, therefore I urge you to take some food, for it will give you strength, for not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. When he had said these things, he took bread, giving thanks in the presence of all. He broke it and began to eat. Then they all were encouraged and ate some food themselves. And we were in all, 276 persons in the ship. And when they had eaten enough, they lighted the ship, throwing out the wheat into the sea. You know, basically, Paul is saying this, okay, you've got to swim ahead of you, right? You, you've, you're going to have to exert some energy here. And so, right, take some food. Um, eat of it and um, you know this, this whole fact about how he he took bread he gave thanks that's much like what jesus did at the lord's supper but this is probably not the lord's supper I, I think um right these weren't christian setting these were like pagan people i think it was just a customary thing for jewish people to do they always like offered a prayer before a meal they give thanks even jesus right before feeding the five thousand, he, he offered the bread to god and gave thanks and that's what we ought to do as well it wasn't a Christian thing, but they all, right? <clears throat> you get an idea how many people are on the ship, 276 people on the ship. There's a big ship. Pretty big, 276 people. Okay, I've only been on one cruise my life. I've been on a ship that big. Um, but it's lots, especially for ancient times like that. But they were there, and they all eaten enough, and then they're throwing the wheat into the sea because they're going to make a swim for it. And now we see in my third point, the shipwreck. Now when it was day... They did not recognize the land, but they noticed a bay with a beach on which they planned, if possible, to run the ship ashore. Verse 40, so they cast off the anchors and left them in the sea at the same time, loosening the ropes that tied the rudders and then hoisting the foresail to the wind they made for the beach. But striking a reef, they ran the vessel aground and the bow stuck and remained immovable, and the stern was being broken up by the surf, and the soldiers planned was to kill the prisoners, lest any should swim away and escape. And again, you see there the providence of God, right? The, the, the plan of man is going to do this. Man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. And so they're going to do this. But the providence of God works in such a way through the heart of the centurion, who, verse 43, wishing to save Paul, kept them from carrying out their plan to kill the prisoners. Now, they would kill the prisoners because if the prisoners escaped, it was their life that was at stake. And so um, he ordered then those who could swim to jump overboard first and to make for land, and the rest on planks or on pieces of the ship, and so it was that all were brought safely to the land and so we just see see here right they' they 're trying to get to the beach, but before they get to the beach, they hit this this reef and they get stuck, and this boat is coming across it starts filling with water and starts sinking in all the different parts of the sea, so just basically if you can swim, swim for it. If you can't grab something and hang on, and, and even there, right, even what was hung on, these people didn't like drift way out to sea. They, they drifted in because it says there that they all were, were safety, brought safely to the land. And this was the sovereign providence of God bringing Paul safe. But not only Paul, he promised He's going to bring everybody there safe. Um, and that's what we see in verse 44. And so it was that they were all brought safely to the land. My final point is, Safe, exactly like God had promised, even through difficult times, even through the difficult sailing, even through the danger of the storm, God and his providence brought them all there. And I do believe that, that Luke included this story because of the, uh, the visitation he had from the angel of God, and what a great story this is to magnify and exalt, to just speak about God is still working. God was working in their life. I just want to kind of turn it to an application here at the end and, and just say, you know what, one time or another, all of us will come upon difficult times. We all will. Uh, I, I put out in the Weekly Word this week that Darren prayed for of uh, Chris Braun's, and um, I, I was talking to David Bogner, the associate pastor at uh, Red Brick Church, and he said that there was some... Uh, Some tests going on, and I think it was Thursday morning that they had a test, and they said, we need to tell the congregation. So they called up everybody, emailed everybody, said, we're going to have a special congregational family talk at whatever, 6 o'clock, 7 o'clock tonight, why don't you come to church? And so they came there, and Chris told the church how his wife, Jamie, has been diagnosed with pancreatic neuroendocrine tumor, a pancreatic neuroendocrine tumor. Um, That's not yours, I don't think, Andy, right? This is a rarer form it's not quite as aggressive as normal pancreatic cancer is. Uh, yet the situation still serious. Um, many have died. They just don't die so quickly. Like Steve Jobs had this. Uh, um, some Franklin singer. I forget. Some others had this. But it, it's a long road. Chemotherapy, surgery, biopsies. And he just put that out to the church. I told you often about these five students who were killed a month ago on the highway. Now, though, though they're all believers in Christ and their, their walk on this life is done, there's still difficult times for their families. Right? Very hard time for their families. And, and they're going to be going through that. But, you know, through all this, right, we've got to trust the providence of God and their families need to trust the, the providence of God as they walk the difficult road of losing a child or, or maybe a brother or a sister. Uh, back in December, right, I told you about Mickey Clink, the pastor of Hope Evangelical Free Church in Roscoe. Um, now, I know Chris and I know Mickey uh, fairly well. We get together some pastor's times. These are, these are great men. In fact, I would say these guys like are, are putting Rockford on the map in terms of the scholars who are writing books and, and being read. Um, they're brilliant. And he, right, a couple of months ago in December, I think, explained to the congregation his wife was diagnosed with ALS, which at that time he said it was a disease that has no cure, and he says this will kill my wife in the next couple of years and just think about that: that she, her muscles are just going to slowly deteriorate to the point she gets paralyzed and can 't breathe any longer and chokes to death or something. it 's very difficult, very hard. These are but a few public difficulties we 've heard about at Rock Valley Bible Church, but i 'm sure that many of you got your own private difficulties that you 're experiencing as well, whether it 's difficulties in marriage, whether it 's difficulties with your children or difficulties in your finances or difficulties extended family, or difficulties with a neighbor, or difficulties at school, or work, or some other social circle that you, you run in. And the question rightly comes, right? How am I to face such difficult times? How am I to face it? And at the risk of being too simplistic and yet totally sufficient, I just say trust in God. Trust in the providence of God In Acts 27, we saw Paul trust in the providence of God. What God promised, He's going to bring to pass. And indeed, He did that. And the illness, the difficulty, the hardship that's come upon your life, just know this, it's not caught God by surprise. And neither has God abdicated control over the situation. For some reason or another, only known to the Lord, right? He's brought difficult circumstances into your life. But I just say, you need to trust the God who brought these circumstances into your life. That's the only way you get through it. Because if God isn't powerful enough to prevent these circumstances, then he's not powerful enough to help you through them. Because other things might come. Your hope and trust is going to be when you see and understand that God is providentially sovereign over all these things. You know, and I I, I just shared, this is the text that uh, Chris sent to me after their family church chat on Thursday. I received this Thursday night, and he says this. He says, tough news from our end God is on the throne. That's my message, right? Tough news from our end, and God is on the throne. That's exactly what difficult times is. God, God's providence, right? God's on the throne, even in our difficult times. So let's, let's pray together so we even think of transitioning to the Lord's Supper. <clears throat> Oh, Father, I would pray that we might once again wrestle with these realities that the Bible doesn't back away from. God, it puts forth danger and hardship and trial and difficulty and persecution and death right before us. God, and and your word calls us to trust in you through these things. To trust that we serve a, a loving and good God even when things don't look so good. But behind the frowning providence, God, there comes a smiling face. And so in the midst, of oh God, of these things, I pray even for these families, pray for the bronze family, that they might just stand true and encourage the, the people of Red Brick Church, God, that you're on the throne. And even as I heard just the testimony of the, the families of these kids who passed away on the 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 car accident, being hit by a semi going the other way, they God is on the throne. God is sovereign. It wasn't an accident that they lived until now. God's day; their days were numbered, and their days were up. I pray also for Mickey Clink. Just even in the the message that he preached when he put that before his congregation, a similar thing: that God is on the throne; He's in control. And they're trusting in His providence for all things. And I pray for us, going through our trials or difficulties, whatever we have. May we trust in your providence that it, it has not caught you by accident, that you um, you can bring or take away circumstances um, as you will. And we simply pray, as, as Jesus did, not my will, but your will be done. And so, Lord, would pray that you would help us and strengthen us in these things. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.